I am Thomas Solomon, and you are listening to the VO2 Podcast. The fundamentals of training philosophy are the backbone of the VO2 training framework, which depicts exercise and recovery as the two facets of your training. Your training must be continually evolved in line with your needs to facilitate maximal gains and and subsequent achievement of your goals. However, to evolve, you need to monitor the stress being placed on you, i.e. you need to monitor your training load. Continue on to find out how. In the context of exercise, physical fitness is a set of attributes that you have or achieve that allow you to perform physical activity with vigour, while physical fatigue is the reduction in the maximal force generating capacity of your muscles, which would lead to an inability to complete a task that was once achievable within a framework. We can all agree that progressively increasing your exercise dose over time leads to an increase in fitness. The Italian farm boy Milo who lifted a grown bullock every day to become a legend of the ancient Olympiad and the world's strongest man, understood this concept quite well. We can also agree that on a day-to-day basis, you might feel fatigued following a hard session or a hard week of training. Both fitness and fatigue are influenced by the dose and type of exercise, your physiological and psychological characteristics, your current training status, and the environmental conditions and all of these factors act simultaneously. Training load reflects the physical and psychological stress or strain imposed on you and it is influenced by all of these factors. The main goal of your training is to peak your performance to be race ready. To do so you must tinker with your training load to elicit stress at various times of your training cycle. If we conceptualise your performance as a function of your accumulated fitness and your current state of of fatigue, adequate stress will be required to produce fatigue, which, if adequate recovery is provided, prompts a stimulus for adaptation and a subsequent elevation in fitness and eventually performance. Monitoring your training load is a scientific approach that helps you understand your responses to specific sessions and helps indicate whether or not you are adapting to your training program. Analyzing your past load versus performance relationships can also help you optimize your planned training load going forward. With such information, you can minimize the risk of non-functional overreaching, which is fatigue lasting months or weeks, and injury or illness, and you will be better able to hone your race readiness. But to monitor your training load, you need to be able to measure it. Monitoring your training load requires a tool that quantifies both the work done, i.e. your external load, and the physiological and psychological stress imposed by the work, i.e. your internal load. The relationship between external and internal loads helps to understand changes in accumulated fitness and current fatigue. Measuring external load helps you understand your capabilities, and it can can include things like time, speed, and power output. For example, exercise dose. The dose, i.e. frequency, time, and intensity of each running session, and the load, 
sets times reps times weights per rep for each strength session can easily be monitored. Exercise type. The type or modality of exercise can also easily be monitored. Running, cycling, lifting, circuits, the number of intervals, their duration, etc. Velocity, speed or pace and acceleration can easily and accurately be measured in a sport-specific way with commercially available GPS on the wrist devices. Some platforms use grade-adjusted pace and time to generate a running total stress score, the RTSS metric, to monitor training load. Power output can also be measured in a sport-specific way. Some platforms use power and time to generate a running total stress score, the RTSS metric, to monitor training load. But be aware that commercial accelerometry devices that estimate power during running can vary in their precision and repeatability. I'll release a detailed analysis of this topic pretty soon. Isokinetic dynamometry is the gold standard for limb-specific measures of neuromuscular function, but it is expensive, cumbersome, and does not model sport-specific movements, and it is therefore typically uninformative for prescribing training. On the contrary, maximal height during vertical jumps, sprint performance, or one rep max lifts can easily provide measures of neuromuscular function. So these are all examples of measuring external load. Measuring internal load helps you understand the subsequent ad adaptation to the exercise stimulus, and it might include measuring perceived effort, heart rate, sleep, or mood, and other things. For example, the rating of perceived exertion, RPE, is one of the most common means of assessing internal load. An athlete can self-monitor their RPE during an exercise bout or reps in reserve during a lifting session to ensure that they are working at the correct intensity. And a session RPE can be self-reported after the bout as a means of measuring internal load simply and quickly with no cost. Monitoring heart rate is one of the most common means of assessing internal load in athletes. Resting heart rate is simple to measure and a lower resting heart rate correlates well with increased fitness, but it only provides information about one aspect, and that is how well the parasympathetic nervous system is working to calm down your physiological responses. Because heart rate is linearly related to the rate of oxygen consumption, VO2, during exercise, Heart rate is also popularly used to monitor and prescribe exercise intensities. Some platforms track your average heart rate during a session in relation to your heart rate reserve, which is the difference between resting and maximum heart rate, to generate a heart rate stress score, the HRSS metric, to monitor training load. Heart rate recovery from exercise can also be useful since it is a marker of autonomic function i.e. the battle between sympathetic and parasympathetic activity, improves with training, remains unchanged during constant training, and deteriorates with inactivity. However, because of the natural day-to-day -day variation and the massive effect of things like hydration, environmental conditions, medications, and illness, daily heart rate variability can be as high as 6.5%, making heart rate variability a very difficult metric to interpret with confidence. Sleep duration and quality are associated with recovery from, adaptations to, and performance during exercise. A detailed analysis of this topic is coming soon. 
Polysomnography is the gold standard measurement for quantifying sleep quality. While consumer devices are becoming increasingly popular and in some cases useful for detecting sleep duration, they are not yet an accurate accurate surrogate for the gold standard method derived approach for measuring sleep quality. That said, nightly sleep duration and sleep quality can easily be recorded using a simple diary. More in-depth assessments can be made using questionnaires like the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. Energy availability, carbohydrate availability and fat utilisation are also associated with recovery from adaptations to and performance during exercise. Nutritional analyses from dietary daily dietary records are difficult to, com- to perform with accuracy, but simple self-assessment of whether you feel you ate enough and whether you feel you ate well are pretty useful for understanding your responses to exercise stimuli. A high exercise dose combined with insufficient energy availability is associated with a loss of reproductive function, which must be avoided in order to maintain an athlete's reproductive health and bone status. A self-reported log to monitor the regularity of menses can therefore help to assess internal load and detect infrequent or absent menstruation. Injury or illness can be, can be logged. What is wrong? How long has it been an issue? And are you seeking professional medical support? A simple log of these things is a useful way to understand your responses to exercise. Inappropriately increasing one's training load can suppress mood and decrease performance. Self-reported levels of stress, anxiety, motivation, mood and feelings of happiness can easily be assessed using questionnaires like the profile of mood states, the POMS questionnaire, or the daily analysis of life demands for athletes questionnaires. Self-report measures of fatigue can also easily be monitored using questionnaires like the, the REST-Q recovery stress questionnaire for athletes. Common biochemical, hormonal and immunological blood, blood measurements that are related to fatigue or illness, which include creatine kinase, cortisol, testosterone and immunoglobulin A. However, these require complex and expensive methodology and expert interpretation and, despite large research efforts, none of them accurately assess recovery or predict performance. On the other hand, blood lactate, which can easily be measured with precision and accuracy under laboratory conditions and with some consumer finger prick devices, gives a useful information regarding the intensity of a session. But training in and experience of appropriate blood sampling and measurement are required and it is not always practical to measure lactate during every session in the field. As you can see, therefore, the stress imposed on you by your training can be monitored in many ways. But it might also seem obvious that picking just one of the variables will only provide you with one glimpse into your true training load. It is important to think of each variable as a single piece of a complex jigsaw puzzle. The more pieces you have, the clearer the final picture becomes. So, what do you do? Data is nerdy and exciting, and patterns do look cool. Data collection can also enhance the coach-athlete relationship, make athletes accountable and take responsibility for their training, while also fueling their motivation and helping empower them to lead their own journey. But data collection also costs time, resources, and in some cases money, which are luxuries not everyone can afford. There is also no guarantee that simply having data leads to performance gains, 
because without knowledge and experience, data can be uninformative or misleading, and in worst case scenario, will lead to misinterpretations and poor decision making. In the age of GPS on the wrist, it is very easy to collect speed, distance and time data, logging it all online to examine it in line with your exercise dose, that is your frequency, intensity and time, and your exercise type. In 2005, scientists in New Zealand and Australia collected data from around 55 practitioners, uh, which are coaches and sports scientists, who, man who manage elite or professional athletes in high-performance training centres and teams across a, a variety of sports that included running. The practitioners reported that the aims of their monitoring system were to prevent overtraining, reduce injuries, monitor training effectiveness, and ensure the maintenance of performance throughout competitive periods. Interestingly, they reported high usage of self-report questionnaires with less reliance on expensive or complex tools. The majority of practitioners also reported that they relied on visually identifying trends in individual data, usually detected by a decline in a metric over successive days or sessions. Some of the tools, like feelings of fatigue, were used daily, while others, like sports-specific fitness tests, were implemented only monthly. By listening to interviews with many of the greats of the running and the obstacle racing world, including Killian Journey, John Alban, Lindsay Webster, Eliot Kipchoge, Jim Wormsley, Camille Heron and Chrissy Wellington, many of whom self-coach and self-assess their training load and recovery needs, you will hear one very clear and resounding message. Listen to your body. Even if your performance is a world away from theirs, take their resounding memo to heart. Many high-performance programs regularly assess training loads primarily using self-reported measures combined with external load met metrics. It is very important to collect data regularly but sensibly so as not to get swamped. It is also important not to forget the highly informative tool that is the athlete's subjective self-assessing brain. Listening to your body is a metric that can be quantified and monitored, as I will explain in a moment. Combining that with GPS on the wrist derived speed, elevation gain, distance and time, or distance and time measurements for my old school folks, has always proven to be useful. The case for using your brain for helping assess your training load. While devices can provide some helpful insight, you should never rely on device-derived metrics to tell you how you feel. Your own brain is able to process all inputs rapidly and without error to produce an informative metric of how you feel. Intuitively, therefore, it is you who is the Jedi Master of your own feelings, and it is you who should be telling your device how you feel, not the other way around. But how do you rate how you are feeling? The rating of perceived exertion, the RPE, was originally developed by Gunnar Borg in the 1970s. In the 90s, Carl Foster developed the RPE as a gauge of exercise intensity to estimate a training load score. It basically boils down to asking yourself after your session, how did that feel? Ranking the feeling of exertion out of 10 to generate a session RPE, and then multiplying that by the length of your session. No fancy gadgets, just some mental arithmetic. 
Session RPE is an excellent marker of heart rate and blood lactate responses to exercise. A systematic review recently confirmed the validity and reliability of session RPE as a measure of training load in men and women of all ages and levels of competition in a large array of sports. The session RPE training load score has, in many studies, been shown to predict performance as well as heart rate and speed derived measures in sports that include running and running related tasks. Furthermore, in runners, RPE shows the lowest day-to-day biological variation when compared to other training load associated variables including heart rate and blood lactate. However, the accuracy of session RPE may deviate when large amounts of training are spent at the very high or very low intensities. Also, a session RPE reflects the overall intensity of the whole session and may not reflect the true true stress imposed by an intermittent session, hence the need for exercise type information such as the number, duration and RPE of, of your intervals. Assess your daily training load with simplicity. In my experience as a practitioner, after several months of data collection, athletes become quite intuitive. They learn to understand that a self-assessed how do I feel rated at 2 out of 5 on the morning after a very hard session, which they rated as 9 out of 10 on an RPE scale, means that they need to go easy for at least a couple of days, perhaps longer. As a coach, recording basic variables of each session, combining that with the athlete's subjective assessment of how the session, session felt and how much effort they unleashed, provides an ever-growing database from which signals can be detected from the noise and out-of-the-ordinary patterns can be recognised and then acted on accordingly. I have used this approach for several years to great effect. Remember that if a tree in the forest falls with no one around to hear it, it does still make a sound. Based on that principle, here is a suggested approach. Immediately after every session, ask yourself... What was my perceived level of exertion today? This is the session RPE. Rate your RPE during the session out of 10, where 2 is equal to walking and 10 is equal to a maximal effort. To supplement the session RPE, you may also record grade adjusted pace, heart rate power or weight lifted in order to track real performance outcomes. And ask yourself, how did I feel? Rate your feeling during the session out of 5, where 5 is equal to I felt like the Incredible Hulk, 4 is I felt good, 3 I felt average or a bit off, and 2 I felt pretty rubbish and could not maintain the quality throughout the session, and 1 would be you felt so terrible, tired or ill that you did not train. Record the session duration, the time or for a weight session, the sets and the number of reps, Record the session type, which includes the type of terrain, elevation gain, and the type and number and duration of intervals. And then calculate your session's training load by multiplying the session RPE by the session duration in minutes. Or for weight sessions, you can multiply the sets and the reps against the session RPE. But can't you just rely on automated metrics? Over the last 10 years, the wearable industry has exploded. Wearable technology, which is a $95 billion industry, took over the number one spot in the ACSM's worldwide survey for fitness trends in 2020. Following the boom in access to wearables, automated metrics have followed. 
Polar has their running index score, which estimates your VO2 max based on an algorithm assessing the accumulative 12-minute relationship between your heart rate and speed during a session. While Garmin also automatically guesstimates your VO2 max after each session and tells you how many hours you need to rest for until your next session. Garmin also has its training effect score, which indicates the extent to which your session impacted your fitness. Unfortunately, algorithms behind such metrics are proprietary, mostly provided by the Finnish company First Beat Technologies, and their accuracy and precision have not been validated in peer-reviewed scientific studies. Online platforms like Strava, well, the paid subscription version only, Training Peaks and Final Surge feed your exercise intensity, time and speed or heart rate metrics into their training pulse algorithms to derive estimates of your fitness and your fatigue in order to estimate your performance or form. The web-based extension Elevate also calculates these metrics and, for the time being, but this is due soon to change, piggybacks your Strava account for free. Strava also allows you to rate your session RPE, while Training Peaks and Final Surge make additional use of your subjective self-assessing brain and allow you to rate your session feeling after each workout. However, none of these platforms um, analyse or incorporate your feelings into their prediction of your performance, nor can you view a trend of your self-reported feelings over time. Separating the signal from the noise. If you are going to collect training data, you need to be able to analyze it, make accurate inferences, and act accordingly and appropriately. The whole purpose of monitoring training load is to keep you on track, progressing gradually in a safe, healthy, and clean manner. The approach must be able to identify what is real and separate it from what is simply a natural variation in your own physiology or natural variation in the technical vari variability of the method you are using, i.e. the approach you use must separate the true signal from the background noise. The most important thing to remember is that data without knowledge is useless. A single data point without a frame of reference is not useful. Therefore, regularly monitoring is a very important thing. Building up a profile of data will help you spot patterns. But separating a signal from technical noise can be tricky, especially when you are using things like heart rate. So many factors can influence your heart rate, and these go beyond how hard your session was. A reduction in your internal load response, for example your RPE or heart rate, to a standardised external load, might indicate that your fitness is increasing and that you are handling the overall training. Conversely, an increase in that same RPE or heart rate response to an identical dose and type of external load might indicate that you are losing fitness or are fatigued. However, in isolation, a single day's data point is not informative. Minor day-to-day -day variability can be ignored. Instead of trying to interpret every single blip, Use a method to collect frequent sampling points and learn to recognise your patterns. Real changes in variables must be larger than the typical error of measurement, i.e. larger than the natural variation of the method. Learning to recognise your own day-to-day -day variability will also provide you with knowledge of the smallest worthwhile change that should cause you to act. This will bring you confidence when making decisions based on changes in your training load data. 
using data to inform decisions. Fitness versus fatigue or acute versus chronic, which is very recent versus long-term load models, are useful for understanding your responses to sessions and while helping you to conceptualize the very basic concepts of training adaptations. Doing so can help you plan future training loads in order to hit a peak. But simply planning a recipe to peak your performance for an event will not achieve maximal results if the pie is simply left in the oven. You must look for the cues that indicate the opportune moments for optimization. The simple questions, how hard was it and how did it feel, provide just the information you need and as you learn to master the relationship between the answers to those questions, Yoda will soon come knocking to present you with your lightsaber. If you are amidst a specifically well-planned week of overreaching, i.e. functional overreaching, where the goal is to accumulate more than usual fatigue followed by more than usual rest, then the day-to-day -day session RPE and your associated feelings will be very predictable and can temporarily be ignored. But functional overreaching periods should be very brief and infrequent and not a weekly feature in your training. During periods of normal training, you must pay attention to your RPE and your feelings as they provide huge amounts of information that automated metrics do not and cannot reveal. So here are some suggested rules of thumb. Number one, if you trained hard today, you probably need to train easy tomorrow and possibly also the day after. I.e., if your overall session RPE today was 6 out of 10 or higher, then you pushed your body into the heavy biological intensity domain and will need to reduce the intensity for one or two days so that you plan only to complete low intensity activities at an RPE of less than 5 out of 10. Number 2. If you accumulated hard time today, you probably need to train easy tomorrow and possibly also the day after i.e. if your session included blocks of time at or above an RPE of 6 out of 10, this includes anything at or faster than your marathon pace or marathon effort, then reduce the intensity into the easy domain, RPE less than 5, for one or two days. Number three, if you felt like total shit today, you probably need some rest. Generally, however, remember that when rating how you felt during a session, not every session has to be a five, and the occasional one is totally fine. But if things don't feel right, there is no shame in aborting mission. It is always best to stop, recover, and delay until you feel ready to produce the goods. Number four, do not ignore your feelings. They are your thermostat. If you consistently feel like a three out of five or lower, don't just shrug your shoulders and continue as if it is all okay. This indicates that you are not recovering sufficiently from prior sessions. Something needs to be changed. Without change, you will see the numbers falling and eventually you will be a zero, under-recovered and on the path to the dark side. Avoid becoming a slave to fancy-sounding metrics. Your system for monitoring your training load should be simple to implement, easy to use and cost-effective. It should collect data on internal load for example, the exercise dose for each type of training and the external load, for example, RPE, feelings, mood, sleep and nutrition. 
Your system should also be easy to analyze and interpret, individualized to you or your athletes, and therefore taking into account the error of measurement and within-person variability. And importantly, it should identify meaningful changes, which means to say it should isolate the signal from the noise and report meaningful changes clearly so they can be acted on accordingly. The world bombards us with devices that produce metrics. All automated metrics on the above described platforms make the assumption that looking at one or two pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, like time, heart rate, pace or power, can predict performance. Remember what we learned about assumptions from Tom in Lockstop and Two Smoking Barrels. It's the mother of all fuck-ups, stupid. Such an assumption limits the utility of metrics in sports where physical, technical and tactical abilities represent true performance. This applies to running, particularly trail or mountain running, and especially obstacle course racing. The different types of fitness, like cardiorespiratory, strength and skill, may develop and decay at different rates. Furthermore, other important variables like psychology, environment and pacing strategies have a massive impact on competitive performance. Yes, some metrics like the heart rate stress score and the running total stress score sound fancy and help examine your responses to certain sessions, which can be useful for understanding the basic concepts of your fatigue-fitness relationship, and that may help tweak or plan future training load. But in isolation, these are just one part of the picture. And I hope to have helped you learn the stress placed on you as a result of your training is related to more than just time, speed or heart rate. By now, you will probably have noticed that I like to encourage everyone to train smart. One easy way to help yourself do that is to check in with yourself each day. How do you feel? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you resting enough? These are questions only you can answer. So, until next time, Keep training smart by assessing your feelings. If you are enjoying this free content, it would really help me if you could subscribe to my updates and head over to VO2 on social media and like and follow my posts. Please also feel free to share these articles on your social media pages and if there are topics you'd like to know more about, drop me a line. Sometimes, I mentioned brands and products, but I am not sponsored by or receiving advertisement royalties from anyone. I have conducted biomedical research for which I have received research dollars from publicly funded national research councils and medical charities and also from private companies, including Novo Nordisk Foundation, AstraZeneca, Amelin, the AP Muller Foundation and the Augustinus Foundation. These companies had no control over the research design, data analysis or publication outcomes of my work. Any recommendations I make are, and always will be, based on my own views and opinions that are shaped by the evidence. Before making any changes to your habits of daily living based on any information I provide, always ensure it is safe for you to do so and consult your doctor if you are unsure.